Hi, I'm Morgan Freeman. Welcome to the end of the year, everyone but us podcast special. We'd like to thank you for your continued support, and I hope that you enjoy the show. Sending Christmas joy and a happy new year to everyone. To the Everyone But Us podcast, straight from the heart of London. What's up? My name's Weymar. My name's Lewis. My name is Sugar White. And welcome to the Everyone But Us end of year special. You most probably don't care, but make some noise! Ooh. 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 How are you guys doing on this very merry occasion? I'm merry as fuck. So am I. I'm really happy. Yeah, man. Chris, Christmas carols with Michael McDonald back there. Was yeah, thank you to Michael McDonald for flying all the way over from the States. Like, he just flew in. He flew into Luton. Yeah. There's no problem, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we just made the call when he was here, man. What a G, man. So, yeah, how are you guys doing? Yeah, I'm all right. I can't complain much. Um, I've had a long fucking day doing my usual shit, emptying fruit machines and pool tables and that. I had to make this long-ass journey, though, innit? Because I forgot to pack my bag with... Um, What's that fucking shit called again? Um, Cocaine. Fucking, I fucking wish, mate. I'd be shot in it right now. I wouldn't be shot in nothing. <laughs> Couldn't even take a fucking shot at the goal. No, mm. well, as I was going to say, yeah, mm. I forgot to uh, pack some uh, chalks in my bag this morning to give to one of the sites because we've got pool tables and that and have loads of people coming. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go home and I'm going to go and grab it. And it was in Shepherd's Bush. So I had to go all the way to Beckton and then all the way from fucking Beckton back to Shepherd's Bush. Just, was, just get some chalk. Well, you know what I mean? I'm just, I'm like one of them guys, man. I'm a nice guy. I like to fucking fulfil a promise, you know what I'm saying? So The promise of the chalk. That's it, mate. Couldn't you have gone to a shop and bought that's, some chalk? That's what I was Fuck thinking. Fuck that, mate. I ain't fucking Better still, that, wasn't there a school that you could just nip in and nick some? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he ain't allowed around yeah. schools no more. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, I don't think that would be fucking, uh, that would be viable at all to fucking just walk in and nick some chalk. They don't even use chalkboards anymore. They use whiteboards and stuff now. You're not, allowed, you're not allowed to say whiteboard. You're not allowed say, to say blackboard. You can't say blackboard anymore. Either. What can we call it? Just a board. That's, so, that's rubbish. You, no, you can't. You can't. Nah. They don't have blackboards anymore, mate. No, I know you don't have blackboards, but <laughs> I thought that was always just like a Daily Mail fucking nah, I think thing that's, that's made up. I think it's one of, and also I think it's just the whole chalk thing, isn't it? Like, remember in school where you have a teacher just always have fucking chalk monks up there top and shit, like, where they'd be just fucking writing along on the fucking chalkboard and they're a massive ass fucking belly would be just rubbing against the chalkboard. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I just remember like talking in class and then the teacher turning around and just throwing the fucking chalk at my head. Shut up! Yeah, man. You can't get away with that. Can't get away with that now, can you? I remember one of my teachers, Mr. Ball, who used to have a um, holster with a what's it called? A gun with a with a, <laughs> with a judge's hammer. So Shut they, up! Yeah, man, he was wild, man. Mr. Ball was crazy. So <laughs> what did he do with a hammer? He just slam it down on the table. Like oh, one shit. time, he one time he launched it across the across the room. I mean, I was in that club. Apparently, he launched it once. Oh yeah, he was no joke. He used to play basketball and shit with man's at lunchtime and that. He was. Would he like Judge Judy? 
now he's like Judge Rinder. <laughs> <laughs> Judge, Judge Rinder, Judge Rinder's fucking weird, mate. Judge Rinder. I want to ask you guys, are you like um, Christmas Yeah, people? I'm alright, Wayne, my cheers, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I ain't been up too much. Carry on, carry Steve, on. Steve, oh yeah, I forgot to ask you. Nah, How are you doing, Steve? It's too late now. But your life, yeah, but to be honest, every time I ask you, it's pretty boring, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, I know, yeah. Now nah, you doing, Steve? Do I'm joking. You've been sit around at home, go work. Any EDL rallies? Yeah, I've been on a couple, man. I went on that one with uh, Tommy Robinson the other day. How's Tommy doing since he's been out? Yeah, he's still a cunt. (laughs) There's no need to talk about your leader like that, mate. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, yeah, Christmas is here, man. How you guys? Are you guys Christmas people? Am I sitting with some two Grinches or...? Yeah. I ain't a Grinch. It's fucking boring, isn't it? Dudes just sit around doing fuck all and watching shit telly. Although the alternative is work, so, you know... What about you, Lewis, man? Um, you know what? There's been a few years where I've not really been into Christmas and that, but I don't mind, actually. You get to just spend time at home with your family. You get to eat loads of nice food, plenty of drink and shit. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to Christmas. Man, I... Yeah, I, I am. I do like me Christmas. Me, personally, I, I love Christmas, man, because it's that... I know a lot of people, they have people in their family they don't get on with, and... But even if one day you can pretend that you like each other, you should do it, man, because... Tomorrow is never promised, man. So just get your family around you and pretend that you like each other. You like <laughs> each other. Pretend that you like them. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Boxing Day goes back to hating them again. <laughs> no, but I love Christmas, man. Like, I also love Christmas songs, man. So I wanted to ask you guys, what's some of your favourite Christmas songs? Um, we started with Silent Night. Yeah, that's the classic. The, classic, the um, one with Michael McDonald's remix. Thank you, Michael. Um, one of my... Uh, uh, I can't remember the fucking actual title but it's that Paul McCartney one you know the one oh, Simply, Simply Avenue yeah yeah Simply that one that's what, do you know what I never know the words that's Simply what, Having a Wonderful Christmas Time Simply Having yeah. that's the only bit that anyone Christmas knows isn't it time. nobody knows the like it's Christmas time I know the bit that goes ding dong ding dong yeah I know that bit oh yeah no, one of my favourites is um, I've, I've written down a few that I I love to hear. Mariah Carey, in it? No, nah, I can't stand that man. She's on the Z list for that one. Oh shit, Z list. The Z list. The diva's been demoted. She's been demoted. I'm gonna say, and I'm pretty sure you guys are gonna like this. Fairy Tale of New York. Oh, the Pogues. The Pogues. Yeah. <laughs> I never understand what he's saying, but it's amazing. Weymer's version just sounded like a motorbike. Like. <laughs> <laughs> stroke, two-stroke fucking Crazy engine. <laughs> two-stroke fucking fairy tale. What's it called? Fairy tale of New York. Yeah. Fairy tale of New York. Yeah, that's it. Do you know what? There was a line in that song, and I may go say it once. Controversial. Where, yeah, we. He says, "Um, you're you're a cheap lazy." No, she says, "You're a cheap lazy faggot," and they tried to ban it, but apparently the word, the f word, means something different in Ireland. It doesn't mean it hasn't got that homophobic slur. Um, do you remember? Do you remember that happening? I, I, I personally, I don't know the story behind it. I know the words can mean a pile of sticks or something or some. Yeah, and that, that's what it is. Yeah. Like it's fucking like a tinderbox, like for lighting fires and things. So why would you say cheap lads? Well, not a tinderbox, but it's just like a bunch of sticks that you light a fire with. Don't know, might have just think, rhymed well. I, think, I don't think. You know what's funny? You know what, if McBoo was here, he'd be out of tennis, wouldn't he? Shout out to McBoo. Do you know what's funny is when they have that on, um, you know, at Chris, on TV, they play all the Christmas songs. Yeah. They beat that word out. Of course they do, like, because yeah. they but don't. If it doesn't mean that, yeah, it's kind of mad, isn't it? Yeah, but um, yeah, it's also that that you can get those uh, pork faggots, those, what's it called? 
Mm. That film, that film, that food from the West yeah. Country. I forgot what they called Mr. I think the geezer's name is Mr. Brains or Mr. Brian's or something like that. It's some weird fucking food. That's mate. just fucking old school food, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's I want to uh, say poor man's food, but nah, it's not poor man's. Working class man's food. Working class. I mean, the next song I was thinking of is um, classic, The War Is Over, John Lennon. What one's that? Um, the war is over. The one, with the, token, owner. the one with the token black people in the end singing. What, and Merry, <laughs> Merry Christmas. Yeah. And, and a happy classic. New Year. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Heard that loads of times today, man. Every pub I go into, they're all playing their Christmas tunes and shit, innit? That, so, that's a classic one. Yeah. See, that is something that fucking drives me mad about Christmas. Like, play it over the week of Christmas. Nah, you no, got to start no, playing no, it. I don't you are a Grinch. You're a Grinch. Some dude said to me the other week that they, in his pub he was working at, they have to start playing it, I think, the last weekend of November oh, or the last no, week of November, they start Christmas tunes. You got to no, build up the spirit, man. Was no, you never a kid? Look, when I, was a kid, when I was a kid, you spend the whole of December looking forward to Christmas, but it weren't Christmas till you broke up from school. Now it's Christmas <laughs> from fucking November. Yeah, that's because they, that? they want people to get in the shops and buy shit. Exactly, man. Yeah, that's yeah exactly. And that's another reason I don't, I don't like, like it. it, because of capitalism. Yo, can we uh, give E17 a pass for... Stay now! Yeah. Is that a classic song? Yeah, yeah, that is a good Christmas tune. Yeah. We can't keep singing on this. Everyone's going to tune off if we just keep singing. <laughs> There's not a party that you haven't been at at Christmas where that song's not come on and you've like, stay now. Yeah. And just sung it with all your mates. You know I, I mean? may have done that in a karaoke about two or three years back as well. We need to get them. The next Ironed Out gig we do, we need to get the white jackets with the fur collars. <laughs> You're on your fucking home, mate. we got to do it, man. And with the back, was it? They had the... The Timberland boots. They used to have some bottoms. mad comp. They used to have some mad coloured fucking um, camouflage camo wear in it. Yeah, camo I do, wear. I do miss baggy trousers and Timberland boots. Baggy trousers. Yeah. I do miss it. Strangest song that I hear at Christmas is "Do They Know It's Christmas Time." Is that what it's called? <laughs> do they yeah. know? Live Aid. Live Aid. <laughs> and I'll tell you why because I hear that song like at so many Christmas parties. People stuffing their faces with fucking sausages. People fucking drinking food all over the floor. Everyone drunk and then everyone's going, feed the jumping <laughs> yeah, up and down, yeah. laughing. And you think this song's actually about poverty? It's a weird song, isn't it? Mate, just... that line, that line, is it? Bono, Bono sings it, isn't it? Thank God tonight it's them instead of you. Ah, like, fucking hell, man. That's a bit dark. <laughs> now, yeah, it is, isn't it? When you think about no, it. Thank, thank God is some kid in Ethiopia in 1986. And oh. fucking... It was 85 or 86? <laughs> 85. I don't know, something like that. Something like that. That said, when I was a five-year-old, I fucking loved that song. It's they, a good they, song, but it's just weird that they sing it at parties. Do you know what I mean? Got, it's got that proper hook. That keyboard. It's a pop song, isn't it? Obviously, the the whole meaning, the whole reason the song was done, obviously, was to raise money for charity. But over the years, it just becomes another Christmas song, and people forget that actual message. But people most probably, I mean, is that money still going to charity or going to something? Oh hell no! That money's not going to fucking charity. Well, they've spent up their fucking allocation, mate. (laughs) there's your 10% (laughs) one along (laughs) I heard uh, well not heard I read something about how during the work during the whole who's this oh we've got a special guest who fuck's this we're going to break we'll be right back everyone but us straight from the heart of London yo what's up we are back we are back and all this all this talk of Christmas songs is going to stop because we got well two friends have just walked in the building 
One of them we don't really care about. What's oh, up, Ammo? Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Ammo from Life Betrayed Us is in the building. Make some noise. Oh, fuck off. I hate you more. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out. But then we've got a second very special guest all the way from over the pond. He's come to watch the terrible football team. Shut Whoa. up. Shut Can up. we make some noise for Mitz? Mitz, how you doing, man? You all right? Great. Great. I'm honored to be here, and I apologize that I didn't let you know that I was coming through town. That's all right. You can blank me. No, no, no. no. You, you, but I was. I, I told him when I when we got to the pub, I was gonna start reaching out to people. I I no, got in course, super man, late man. last night and had and even got my bearings straight yet, and we were already out drinking. So 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 what are you here for, man? So I I'm glad you asked. Other than watching a shit football team. Glad you asked. No, 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 no. Fuck you. I'm on my way home. I'm on my way home from Tel Aviv, Israel. Um, Tel Aviv. Shalom, 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 shalom. shalom. Amma will be providing the background noises throughout this podcast. (laughs) So I, uh, I got asked to produce a band from out there about a year ago, and. we just did it uh, starting, we, I flew out there, I think the 28th, landed on the 29th, and I've been in the studio ever since then. And then the way I saw it was like, okay, well, on my way home, oh, it happens to be a little football, and uh, I'll come visit all my friends here in London. And, that's and dope. so I flinagled my way uh, to, I had those guys, I organized it, so they flew me out there, and then I told them, I said, book me home from London, and I'll make my own way from Tel Aviv. B- business class, I hope. I wish. <laughs> I wish it was. It, if it was business class, it was some low end business. <laughs> Can I we was get on fucking Whiz Air? Whiz Air. Yeah, one of those. What's that um, film with Snoop Dogg? Uh, Soul uh, Plane. Yeah. Was it like Soul Plane? It you was, haven't seen that film. No? It was Soul Plane, Soul full, plane. Of, full, full of some <laughs> d- very interesting people. <laughs> Can Hung- we get Hungarian airline flying from Israel to England? Wow. That's his, uh, Did you get food on it? You know, they, they, they I'll tell you, you a funny story. They came through with the cart and they had snacks and stuff and I hadn't eaten anything for a while. So I was going to get a sandwich and a, and a drink and they put it on my tray and then I, they only take a credit card. So I take my credit card out and for some reason it being an American credit card and we're up at 30,000 feet, the thing's not working. So they, I was about to oh, sink into this sandwich. <laughs> and they're like, your credit card's not working. They're like, do you have any euros? I'm like, no, I don't have any euros. I'm like, I have shekels. They're like, we don't take shekels. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Israeli money. Oh, wow. And so, then, so I had no, they're like, I have US cash. They're like, maybe someone wants to change it. I'm like, nobody on this plane wants fucking US cash. <laughs> so they ended up taking the stuff away from me. They took the food back. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Let me get this one. They, they took it back? They took it back. I what couldn't pay fuck? for it. On a cross-Atlantic flight, you have to pay for food. No, not cross-Atlantic. This is coming from Oh, Tel- yeah, of course. From Tel Aviv. Yeah, 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 sorry. Tel Aviv, I flew into Tel But it's still oh, about a five-hour flight about much. Right. It was ridiculous. It was, six, it was almost six hours. <laughs> they were charging people for water. So who, who was the band? So the band's called Eternal Struggle. Eternal, okay, I'll, yeah, because I think I've read something about this on Facebook. Right. I haven't heard of the band before. Are they right. like um, straight hardcore band or they're, they? Okay, they're they're a, a definitely crossover. They they consider themselves a hardcore band, but in my eyes, they're they're way more metal than they are hardcore. Um, they're they're metalcore, but they're not metalcore in like a hate breed vein. They're like metalcore in like a marauder vein, or, or mm. that's just like doomy, really like. 
um, really dark, great, great, like, beat-down parts and, you know, some upbeat stuff. But they were, I was surprised. Um, when they reached out, I was, I was, you know, intrigued to be hearing from a band from Tel Aviv. Like, you don't think of that as a city for hardcore bands. And then they sent me some music, and I'm like, damn, this shit's good. And their 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 background is that they they won't their what put them on the map is they won a contest to get onto Wacken Festival in Germany. Ah, uh, so, Wacken, yeah, yeah. So they were like they were in this competition with all these other bands, and it wasn't even like the best band from Israel. Once they won their own local region, which was Tel Aviv, they had to compete against another like ten bands from other cities. So wow. the the winner got a spot on one of these stages at Wacken Festival in 2017 so you know they got there on their own merits how many bands can say they competed with other bands to get where they were it's it's pretty impressive you can imagine they're fucking good live then they're good live they're good they're 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 to me they're like the undiscovered band They're, they're 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 a really good band and they're they're so hungry they're just dying like they they talk. You should have bought them a sandwich if your card worked. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they, I was alone. I'm not that type of hungry. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. But uh, no, they're a really hungry band, and they like they even told they were telling me the other night how they've considered like moving to mainland Europe just to get just to try to get into the mix. You know, they really want to start. Did they get in? Did they play hardcore shows? Like, put, put, in their city, yeah. Oh, but they haven't really played outside their city. They've played as of Germany on Wacken Festival. And that's, that I know that's of. They might have done some other stuff, but the, well, the only thing they I know that they did was Wacken, and then they play, you know, they're like the hometown hardcore band in Tel Aviv. Oh, but you can only cool. do, you know, how many shows can you do in Tel Aviv in a given year? Three or four? You don't want to saturate out your your market or your audience. So. No, for real, man. I mean... um, so how did you get into the recording thing? Because you you also recorded one of me and Lewis's really good friend, um, Strength Approach. Oh, yes. Blasey's band, yeah. Yeah. How, did they reach out to you as well? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, even before I ever played in bands, I, I had a studio background. I went to school for audio engineering. I um, After that, I worked in a studio in New York City that was one of the top studios in the world. Um when I first started there, we had like Lionel Richie and uh, Eric Clapton, Mariah Carey, James Brown, you name it. It was a top, top level house. And I was a, you know, I was a gopher there. I wasn't doing anything. I was making coffee and vacuuming the place and answering the phones. But it was, a, you know, that's what got my foot in the door. Um, at night, I would, when the place was closed, I'd be sneaking in hardcore bands. I brought Sub-Zero in there. I brought oh, in I brought in uh, Dark Side New York City. Dark Side was wow. Dark Side was like the offshoot of Sheer Terror. It was Alan Blake from Sheer Terror, and um, so I was doing that stuff. So I had a studio background from when I was eighteen years old, and then I started playing in bands. I was in Crown of Thorns, and then I was in Scarhead, and then I was in uh, Madball, um, and then uh, two, three, uh, five, um, even more now, like four or five years ago. Um, me and Alex from Strength Approach, singer um, Alessandro, um, I don't know how it came up because it's a ways, ways ago now, but um, we it somehow came up like, hey, they're doing an EP. He asked me to produce it, and, and it went from there. Was that the first band that you ever done, like a full-length one? No. I mean, as I said, I did some stuff. I, mean, I know you don't have but a hardcore, but I mean, hardcore bands. Sorry, since, I well, said. I did hardcore bands back then as well. But, oh, sorry, yeah. But okay. since since... The, you know, the gap of my 
playing career and touring career, that was the first thing I'd done in many years. So, you know, it was it was awesome. And I ended up doing, that was an EP. And then I ended up going back there two years later and doing a full length for those guys. That's fucking dope, man. So I just want to say, like, me, Lewis and Steve, we haven't prepared for this interview at all, but... So we're just going to throw some questions that come straight off top of the top of the dome. No problem. And Shoot. the first question that I want to know is, how did you get into hardcore? What was, and what was the first bands? Because let's, let's, be, let's be straight. You've been in the band, Marble, that's the top of the tree for fucking how many years? Over 20, 20, 25. Marble, 25 yeah. Marble's first incarnation was 88. No, but I mean, how long you've been? I, mean, you, I was in Marble from, from 2001 until 2017. So that's 16, 16 years. years. Wow. So before we get to Madball, uh, um, what was a, what was your first introduction into hardcore? What was your first band? So when I was when I was a kid growing up on Long Island, I was into metal, 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 metal. And then I had a um, I had some friends that started putting me on to. So Long Island, just give you the background. Long Island is a suburb of New York City. It's an hour outside of New York City, um, and in the eighties. It was, you know, an hour away from something like that. You're very detached. You don't have access to records. You don't have access to shows. You know, you're you're basically in the in the sticks for that. You know, for all intents and purposes. So, to me, I started hearing about stuff. Oh, this is hardcore. And they're like, well, you know, check this out. Sod. This is a hardcore band. And I'm like, oh, cool. I like. Yeah, this is cool. I like it. Um, Dri. Cool. This is hardcore. And then. In 10th grade, I was, uh, let's see, that's like, you're about 15 years old. 10th grade, there was a dude that moved from New York City out to my town, and he transferred to my high school. And I seen him walking down the hallway one day with a Metallica shirt on. And I'm like, yo, what's up? Oh, shit, we got a new metalhead. In I think it was a Master mm-hmm. Puppets. It was Ride the Lightning. Oh, okay. It was a Ride the Lightning shirt. Well. And um, so we, me and him start talking, and he's like, you know, we start comparing music. And then I'm like, yeah, I like hardcore, too. And he's like, what hardcore do you like? And I say, DRI and SOD. He's like, that's not hardcore. He's like, and he had come from New York City, so he had been going to CBGB Sunday matinees since he was 13 years old or whatever. And that's he's like, no, New York hardcore. He's like, he's, like, he's, like, he's like, yeah, because that's what you did. You know? Do CBGBs have like age limits? Because I always They did, but you would always cheat it. How? They always, it was 16 and over. But the, uh, the, this is a funny story. You get me going here, we'll go for hours. Let's go, man. Let's <laughs> go. So, to get into CBGBs, you had to prove you were 16. The only thing you can get as a 16-year-old back then was working papers. So when you turned 16, you had to get a piece of paper. You'd go to, I, you did it at your, at your high school. You went in and you said, I want my working papers. And you'd fill out a thing and then you'd give you this card that had no picture on it. It had nothing to prove that that's you. All it had was your name and your date. Of birth and and maybe your social security number, I don't know, but it was this green piece of paper and it was your working paper. So you would trade those off. Somebody would lend you this shredded up green piece of paper, and you'd go into CBS and and the woman. So Hilly Hilly Crystal was the owner of CBGBs. I believe it was his wife, this woman Karen, who would be working the door, and you'd get up there and you'd be trembling as you hand this thing to her because she was trying to catch people out there. Yeah, She'd sure. be like. You're a Sagittarius, right? And if you weren't a Sagittarius and you went for it, you're like, yeah. She'd be like, get the fuck out of here. No, he's fucking full of shit. So she, that's her way of getting, making sure people weren't using other people's IDs. And the funny story, so that, again, I'll tell these stories forever. 
when I turned 16, I sat down at the dinner table with my family, and I, I remember announcing to the family, well, I'm going to go get my working papers tomorrow. And my father, I felt the pride puff up in him, like, wonderful, finally this fucking, <laughs> this fucking loser of a kid's going to get his shit together and start getting a job. That's great. What kind of job do you want to get? I'm like... I'm not doing this to get a job. I just want to be able to get into CBGBs. <laughs> <laughs> so they went it was dead down the tube. That's so anyway, so so this friend of mine, he was the one that put me on to Agnostic Front. Sick of it all. Uh, the Cro-Mags, uh, Token Entry, all the, all the New York hardcore bands that I grew up with. I traced back to this one dude that, that really schooled me on New York hardcore. Wow, man. Just a quick question. Do you know a band called Rush? Rush, <laughs> Thank the, you. the metal band, I mean the rock band. We the had a podcast with uh, Josh from Stout and this, uh, Steve and Josh went on for about half an hour about Rush <laughs> and I said, I don't know a single thing about Rush or know anyone that knows the band Rush. I'll so I you, thought I'll ask you, seeing you're the mecca of metal and hardcore. I wouldn't consider a metal, they're like progressive rock yeah. and they're, <clears throat> I'll tell you two things, they're a great band. And the second thing I'll say is that, like is that nobody of the age group under 40 is going to know a fucking thing about them. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave oh, it there. We'll leave it there. The funniest I'm, thing, I'm 39, so... The funniest yeah. thing in the Rush documentary was the guy talked... They all talked. They cut to each one of them, and they're like, yeah, you know, our crowd... Not a lot of girls. They straight up admit it. They're like they admit that their their crowd is some some dudes, and they're all nerds. That, that documentary cracked me up because they're talking about. Um, I knew they would start on, talking about much for no, half no, no, an hour. No, just Go when on. they went on tour with Kiss, right? And you got Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley, like just with all the groupies and having parties in their hotel room. And they were like, we would see all the girls and the party people walking past our hotel room. But we'd be just sitting in there on the edge of the bed watching TV, like watching <laughs> documentaries on TV, like Absolutely. proper nerds playing for nerds. So CBGBs, man, going back to, I remember, I, I was lucky, I've never seen a show in CBGBs. I, I remember before it closed down, I got to go in the venue, and I have to say it was a shithole, it was a proper shithole, but, but in, a, in an amazing way. Best venues are, man. It is fucking, you could look at, you could, you looked at this venue and you could just smell, feel the energy. You couldn't see the floor, you couldn't see the wall, the stickers fucking everywhere, man. Absolutely. What's some of the best shows that you can remember seeing at CBGB's, man? I remember I was at the... So, when I first went, it was just before New York Hardcore got the attention of a bigger audience. So, I remember shows where you didn't think anything... Okay, so, if, if I played a Madball show, if Knuckle Dust played a show that was 40 people there. And after you'd finish the song, you hear a little smattering of applause. You would think like, ah, this is just like a bullshit show, you know? Like, nobody's fucking here. This fucking dead-ass crowd or whatever. That was the standard of CBGB Sunday matinees. There was 50 people there. Wow. And, but the shows, but none of us felt like this was a bum-out show. It just, yeah. that was the size of the scene. And then... Again, there's other people that would dispute this. There's other guys that are older than me that would say, oh, the moment that it, this was this date and this. For me, I remember there was a magazine, a metal magazine called Rip Magazine, and they did a, they did a piece in their magazine. You know, They had Motley Crue and uh, Scorpions and Iron Maiden on the cover. And then one of their, one of their uh, issues came out, and they had a thing on the New York hardcore scene. And after that, all of a sudden, the secret was out. I remember seeing Murphy's Law 
at CB's, and it was also coincided when Murphy's Law had just gotten back from supporting the Beastie Boys on an arena tour. Wow. And then all of a sudden, you've got 600 kids trying to get into CB's. In that little room. In that little, in that little room. Like, it would just be, wow. it would be so packed that it would literally rain in there. The, the moisture would drip off the ceiling. Yeah. You'd feel drops coming down. Um, Murphy's Law, summer of 87. Agnostic Front, summer of 87, I remember. Just unbelievably packed out shows and just so incredible. The vibe was amazing. Um, Can you remember some of the iconic bands that you, uh, you saw there? Well, those two. Yeah, um, I saw the I saw the Agnostic Front live record, the live at CBGB's. Oh man, that, I was there that's for that. Most probably one of my. Is that a, is that the one with Evans? It's the one with the American flag boots cover. No, I mean, um, there's a live one they recorded a CD for, and it's got Evans from Biohazard. He sings a bit on it. No, this is probably before that. Before that. Oh wow! I can't know they, yeah, they done. I think they recorded three times. Three times there. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. They did a bunch. This was yeah. the first one. This was, I believe. And forgive me if I'm wrong. I think this was right before Roger went away to jail. Oh, I, and I, it was it was just an insane show. The New York Hoods opened up. These are bands that like you know I don't even know if anybody's even heard. No, nah, have you heard Lewis? No, nah, I was going to say I've heard yeah. the New York Hoods, but never listened to them before. New York right? Hoods nah. band called Trip Six. No, nah, um, I've never heard. Never heard the name. Nausea. No, Nausea is some old school. No, old school. I think is that like the. They I were like I've a, seen the logo. Nausea was like a crust yeah. punk. Yeah, yeah. The old, you know, New York hardcore band. Um, the thing I remember about that show was, so they were setting up the recording rig. They had a, a real two-inch 24-track, if it was 24 or 16, I don't know. But it was a two-inch uh, tape machine that they had set up out by the console. It might have actually lived there permanently because CBs would always offer multi-track recordings to their bands and they'd sell it to them. Right. So they're using that, but... The, the the support band finished f forever ago, and they're trying to get everything queued up for this recording, and people are waiting and waiting and waiting. Now, this place is packed to the rims, and the guys are on stage. Like, it's, it's you know, Roger and Vinny and Steve Martin, I think, and the, the old AF lineup, and they're up there, and the lights are up, but everyone's sitting there just waiting because they're... Wait, we're trying to get this ready, guys. Just hang on, hang on, hang on. And the tension built up, and the tension built up, and the tension built up. And I don't know what the first song is on the actual record, but because they changed the sequence, but the first song they dropped into when they finally were ready to go was Crucified. And people were getting murdered. I believe my mind. People were getting murdered. The 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 tension that built up over all that time, everybody was waiting. Yeah. By the time they finally clicked into that song. It was just bedlam. I mean, I, I w I'm a big dude. I was going nowhere near that pit. I was up on the side on this little porch that you could kind of, there was a light board up on the side of the, the place opposite from where the sound was. And in front of that light board was a little like something you could stand on. And I was up above it all looking down on it. It was unbelievable show. That's fucking incredible, man. You going to say something, Lewis? No, I'm going to say no. I just took a little breath. So, Mix, man, let's, let's talk about your bands, man. Your first band was, um, tell me. Crown of Thorns. Well, when did well, you join Crown of Thorns? Like, I played in bands when I, was, when I was younger. You know, that was like the kind of bands that you're begging your friends to come see you, see you play. Because really, you, do you class yourself as a metal, metal head? Whenever I speak to you, you you're always talking about metal. Yeah, I mean, I, I consider myself a metalhead, but then when I think about it, 
I was going to hardcore Sunday matinees when I was 15. Yeah, I mean, I know you were not your fucking... So, yeah, but I mean, like, uh, yeah, I mean, originally I was a metal guy, but I got into hardcore mm. four years later, so mm. I guess I'm a both, you know, it's hard to say. Okay, cool, so Crown of Thorns. So Crown of Thorns, so... Um, How long was you in for? Summer of 96, Crown of Thorns needed a guitar player. I thought I had it, it didn't work out. I was trying to get Ezek's attention, and... He didn't know who I was. My buddy was trying to introduce me to him. And then a second time, same thing. Like, I thought I was in. Like, the guy that they had playing bass for him at the time was like, yo, get your passport. We're going to Japan. You're in. And I'm like, and then their drummer at the time, who ended up being my boy down the road, Goat. Um, Goat played for Murphy's Law. Goat's in the Misfits now. Um, Oh, shit. Before I knew him, he called. I remember him calling me up going, uh, yeah, so um, we're going to Japan. And, like, you know. It'd be all fine and good if you just like jumped in this band and go to Japan, but that ain't gonna happen, buddy. And I'm like, whoa, like fuck, I was crushed. So the third time was the charm, and the third time I finally got them convinced. Somebody convinced them to try me out, and I went down and I, I practiced with them, and I knew the songs like you know note for note, and um, got in that. So Crown of Thorns was fall of '97, and we did that for about six months, and then Ezek's like, fuck this, we're done with this band. We're making it into Scarhead. We took he took basically the same lineup of guys and made and made a and now Scarhead had been, had been around before that, but it had been around as a side project. They made a, an EP. I had that the EP was the one with the the skull on the, the drugs money sex one. Yeah, yeah, I love that man. But they had only played like a, a handful of shows. Yeah. So his thing was like, no, we're gonna make this a real band. And we're gonna go for it. We're gonna really like we're gonna get out on the road. We're gonna tour. It's gonna be you know we, the management was behind it and the whole nine. And so that I started in Scarhead with that in spring of '98. Jesus, man! So how long were you in Scarhead for? Like? So Scarhead went from, for me, went from '98 to 2002, which kind of overlapped when I ended up playing for Madball, which was spring of '01. Um, but originally, I was playing for Madball just as like a fill-in because they were going to break up, and. They asked me to just do the last tours with them, and I said, yeah, I'm in Scarhead, but we've got time. So I played a couple of tours with Madball. Madball broke up for a year, and then in the fall of 02, <clears throat> um, Freddie convinced Hoya, like, let's do this again, and let's go full tilt. And then they asked me to join that. Wow, man. So you joined... Wow. Cool, man. Sorry, thanks for that, man. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so you joined Madball. What album... Uh, it was after, after Hold It Down had been out, and then the first thing I recorded with the band was uh, the uh, New York Hardcore EP we did in 2003. Oh, yeah. That's funny. Orange and Cowboy. that was yeah, the, yeah. Year that you, the year we toured with a legendary London hardcore band called uh, Knuckle Dust, uh, <laughs> which were supported by these little, you know, little band called Suicidal Tendencies and Ignite. Yeah. I was going to talk about these guys. That was so. That's the first time I ever met you. Was on the is it persistence? Resistance. Resistance. Yeah. Tour. Resistance. Then you had persistence. Yep. And they East changed the name. And now, what was the lineup? Right. It was suicidal tendencies. Suicidal tendencies. Ignite. Ignite. Madball. Sworn enemy. Knuckle dust. Length of time. Oh. And that might be it. Unless, and if uh, I'm forgetting was, somebody, it was oh, death no. by stereo. Oh, death by God. stereo. God strike me down. So Knuckle Dust, like, we obviously, we had a little um, 
um, Mercedes Sprinter van, and we were yeah. following their tour bus. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if you remember yeah. the story, yeah. if you remember but, the story, sorry. in New York City, I was coming out of Madison Square Garden, and were you there? Ray was there for uh, sure. I don't know. I so I was coming out of Madison Square Garden, coming out of a Ranger game, and this bullshit little bar across the street from Madison Square Garden that nobody, it's not like a scene bar, this is a bar by the train station, and I'm in there drinking, and Ray or one of you guys comes up there, hey, are you Mitz from Madball? Oh, really? And I'm like, what's up? Yeah, we're, we're like, oh, we're in town, and you guys were in town. And you guys were at that bar because you knew didn't know where to go. Oh you yeah, were... I do remember that. Yeah. When was that? Was that the time that I walked into Manitobas unannounced? Yeah. And yeah, I think they, so. They were playing a show at uh, Manitobas, and I just happened to be on fucking holiday over there. Is that bar still there? It's still there, but yeah. we we yeah. don't frequent it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We won't get into that. Then. That was <laughs> a, that was our heyday yeah. for that was our our home base for quite a while back in the heyday. So I was going to ask you because Lewis is in a band, um, Steve is in a band, I'm in a band. And we've never ever done music full time. I think to do music full time, especially in hardcore, it's a very brave thing to do. Like, because you don't get a pension from it as such, do you? Fuck no. So, at the point you got asked to join uh, Madball, is, this a, is that the first time you've done music full time? Was it um, like, was it easy? I had gone with, I, mean, I had been doing Scarhead full time at the same time. So, you were making a living from Scarhead? No, not really. No, not even, not even a little bit. To be honest with you, I mean, listen, I think that everybody in in hardcore who is in it for the long term is everybody's got to find their own way to make their their ends meet. You know, like uh, I mean, I never got rich playing in any band, but I managed to figure out, well, I can work this job freelance in between this or other guys got other side hustles. I mean. This is a very working class genre of music. Mm. Um, anybody who's doing it full time is got some other circumstance that they're they're putting together to make it to make it happen. That's insane, yeah. man. It's, it's nobody's nobody's. I mean, there's there might be the top one percent of a couple of bands that are that are making enough money to just do what they do and come home and and do nothing. I mean, I reached a point in my life where I realized, like, God damn, I, I got to work in between tours. I can't, I can't. This, I, I, I went for it for a while. And I had circumstances. Like, you know, I, I have, uh, I inherited a house from, from family. So I was lucky in that regard. Oh, that's cool. Yes, you know, I mean, it, it was, it was uh, not to get too personal on stuff, but, you know, I had a living situation that was somewhat taken care of. I had to upkeep it and I had to whatever, but... Um, I think that, and that's why you see so much turnover in in hardcore and punk rock and whatever. When you see bands that have had you know twelve, thirteen, fourteen lineup changes, it's because dudes got a you know reality comes around. You, you know, dudes end up having uh, wives and kids and and buying houses and stuff, and you got to pay those bills. And and ninety five percent of the time, this music don't pay for it. Yeah, no, for yeah. real, man. Like, I would love to do music full time, but it's just there's no possible way. I don't. You, what, you, what you guys fucking, think, man? I'd, I'd do it full time in a fucking heartbeat. But like, how much would you really earn from it? Like, how would you make those ends meet? As you say, it's fucking- exactly, mate. Because it's just about pretty much most bands just want to break even in it like yeah. so it's not about making profit it's just making sure you don't have to fucking no, about spend that <laughs> that's, that's, that's why I'm doing that's why I'm doing my side rock band so I can get fucking money out of it it's a fun my hardcore habit no, no but 
getting back to Marble, so you was in. Face, bro. Thank you, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like, um, you've travelled all around the world with Marble, man. Like sixteen years. What's some of the favourite places you've played? Like, um, um, I would say that the just to give you a short and not get into a long winding thing. Uh, South America was always incredible with Madball. Because, so go on. I'll, yeah, you got Freddie and Hoya who are both of Latin descent or, you know, they're, they're American, but they're of that Spanish Latin culture and, and their families were both from, uh, you know, Freddie's Cuban Colombian and Hoya is Ecuadorian and I believe Nicaraguan is his, is his uh, bloodline. And so going down there, you know, those fans are appreciative of any band coming down there, you know, they don't get a lot of bands down there. So when a band comes and plays for them, those those fans go absolutely ballistic. And then you've got the, you know, Freddie and Hoya both speak the language and we're coming down there and we've got three and four songs in Spanish and the, the audience, the fans know that these guys have a, a, a lineage to their culture. I mean, it, it was just bananas. That's insane, man. They yeah, really fucking sick. love. I've seen like I know it's not hardcore, but I've seen the Iron Maiden documentaries and stuff like that when they yeah. go to fucking Brazil and, and Argentina and stuff like that. Things are mental, isn't it? Fucking mental yep. down there. Yep. Like proper mobbed out, waiting outside their hotel for them to walk out to the tour bus. What's, and what's like the video that. where they was inside like um the marble video where they're in the what's the word you use for it? Favela. Oh, the favela. favela. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember. The, Hearing Freddie or, or Hoya tell a story about that where they was filming the video, they asked permission or something to film yeah. it. And then all these kids just come out and it all happened organically. And afterwards, I, was, you in, was you in that video? Yeah, I was in the video. Yeah, can you tell a story about that so video? It was, we, they had the idea when we were going down there. That was the first time I was with them in South America and they hadn't been there in quite some time. And they talked about, yo, we should shoot a video in one of the favelas, which is the, it's, Anarchy. It's shantytown. It's run by drug lords. It's not the police. Don't go in there. It's its own world. Um, and they uh, we talked about it with the promoters down there, and the promoters were like, "Yeah, we know. We know these people. We'll we'll." They went about it the proper way. They asked. We asked permission to go in there. Like we're not coming in there for the reason of like showing how. Oh, look how dirty it is in here. No, we were coming in there, you know, to pay respect. To, yeah, exactly yeah, to pay respects. Yeah. And um, so we ended up going in there, and as we start shooting, you know, we get three, four children come around, like, hey, what are these guys doing? And they're fascinated by it. You know, the, the children are checking you out, and then next thing you know, three, four children turns into seven, eight, 16, 20. By the end of the day, we had 50, 60 kids following us around. That's and it, it became... Like Michael Jackson. It, exactly. Yeah, but... I don't know about Michael Jackson's intentions That's with the kids. <laughs> that was a double-edged sword of a question. It ended up being something that we had never imagined it was going to be. And I mean, like... Guys were in tears when we were pulling away. It was wow. so emotional. Like when you saw children with no shoes on, chil- children walking down dirt streets, living in, in, in homes that have no electricity wow. or electricity that someone climbed up a pole and ran a cable from. And just and the level of, of poverty that these people live in and, and they're still happy. They're not, you know, like you get, 
kids nowadays, you know, even ourselves, like if we don't get, if our fucking phone gets taken away for two hours, we're crying about it. Yeah, These yeah. kids don't have clean water, they don't have electricity, they don't have, you know, any money, and they're happy. They're kicking a football around with a hole in it, and they knew how to kick it the certain way that it didn't deflate. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, it, it was it was one of the most amazing moments of my life. I, I, I at times I go to bed thinking to myself, you know, man, those kids. I'm going to bed in a nice bed in a house with electricity and heat and warmth and all these you know first world luxuries. And those kids right now, right now, they're in that place sleeping in on a uh, you know a mattress that's third generation handed down it's it's that's insane, it, it really really puts things into perspective i mean would you say that's your favorite you've done quite a few marble videos is that your favorite one would you say yeah, yeah of, of course the most important one i mean yeah it, it meant something i mean other videos look cool but this was this was a <laughs> this was a life-changing experience nah that's cool man so let's should we have a, should we have a guitar nerdy moment like I've been with you a few times and we'll be drinking. I'll be thinking to myself, shit, you're playing with Marble. Like, are you going to be all right? And I, every time I see you, you no, seriously, every time I see you, you don't miss a note. Thank I would say you're one of the, in hardcore, you're easily one of the top five tightest guitar players, man. Thank you. So how, long, how did you get into the guitar player, man? I know you like to, um, as well, one ask you about your, is it the BC Rich that you play? BC? Yeah, I play BC Rich. What happened to the red one? I know it's a sore subject. You had the red one that was your... No, well, it was a wood one. The wood one. It the wood stolen, one, yeah. Right? Like a dark, yeah, my house was burglarized in 2013. That shit. Came home from the city and walked in my front door and I looked around my house and every drawer was dumped. Oh, and I had wow. that moment where that's one, of the most, that's one of the worst moments you can ever have is when you realize someone's been in my house. Yeah, that's and all then, and, and then And then I went, I went and like, the TV's gone. The laptops are gone, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is horrible. horrible. And then I, that moment went through my head like, holy shit, wait a minute. And I ran down into the basement where the, we had had the band. We had been practicing at my house at, at uh, that point. And, uh, yeah, all the guitars were gone. So the, I would have been fucking actually in tears if my guitar... I've no, got one guitar that I, yeah. can't, I would never be able to afford to replace. And if that got stolen, you know the one I always use? Yeah, yeah. That's what this Darn was. It. I don't care be, about the I laptops. Be. I don't care about the big screen TVs. I don't care about the anything else they stole. Yeah. They took a guitar from me that these motherfuckers don't even have a clue as to what it's worth. I'm just going to take it to some shit is pawn it, shop, innit? Obviously, it's worth they a lot did. of money, but yeah. is it... Yeah. Can you explain the history of the guitar? Because you had that guitar for it was, a very it long was a time. BC, the brown one, right? Yeah, the brown wood one. It was a BC Rich Mockingbird. I think it was 82 or 83. It was the pro. It was bought for the birthday of the first dude I ever jammed with when I was like thirteen. His mother bought it for him when he was fourteen for his birthday, and then and wow. and uh, he ended up having a fucking drug problem when he was in his twenties, yeah. and calling me up and saying, "Hey, I'm selling that guitar. Yo, you want it? Give me five hundred bucks." And I was like, "Hell yeah, I'll fucking buy that for five hundred bucks." Wow, that thing's worth that thing's worth four thousand dollars, three four thousand dollars if you were to find it today. And um, and then that was it. That was my baby from from '95 until 2013, till it got stolen. Fuck. Fuck. Do you? Every time I saw this on stage, I used that yeah. same guitar. Every, every band that was that was my baby. Scarhead, Scarhead, Crown of Thorns. I took it. I, I played even filling in for yeah. other bands. Every I used photo. it. I mean. Um. I know you can't say I Do you, do you think you have an idea who took it, or do you think? 
I have an idea. Yeah. I mean, in, re in reality, it's like it's 50 50 whether it's whoever. Like, I own my house and I rent out to roommates sometimes, and I had somebody living in there about eight months prior to the, the, the robbery that was only living there for about two, three months, and it was like, this guy's shady. Yeah, I was like, you got to go. And he was, it was amicable when he said, okay, no problem. But he left. But the reason, one of the reasons I asked him to leave was I saw like traffic coming in and out all day. Like he, this dude's got people over like, and I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if he's like selling drugs or whatever. That's why I asked him to leave. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was somebody that came in and saw, like, took a look around, like, oh, shit, this guy's uh, got some stuff in know, right. mm -hmm. You never know. And the worst thing about it, you most probably sold the guitar for $200. Like they tried to. Stupid. They tried to They tried oh. to sell it. Oh, so you... They tried to sell it, and then we, we get It's a long story. Yeah. They, they tried to sell them. We ended up getting um, one of Hoya's bases got returned because they, they go into a guitar center, which is like a big chain uh, music store in the States. They went to uh, Guitar Center and they tried to sell all of them. And the only one that was worth under what they would write, they would give them cash. They wanted cash. The only thing that was worth um, less than the minimum that they would do for cash was Hoy's bass. And so they, so we got the bass back. But the other guitars, they wouldn't give them. They, they're like, we want to write you a check. And these guys are like, no, we don't want a check. So they left with them. Um, that fucking sucks. Man. But you know what? In, in, at the end of the day... I've got two arms and two legs, and yeah, I'm healthy. Yeah. That's it. And yeah, yeah it. it breaks my heart, but there's other people out there that have lost a lot worse stuff in their lives. Loved ones and their health, and, uh, you know. It's, it's a tragedy, but only in the confines of, of first world problems. Oh, yeah. Man. yeah. And I was no, very lucky. Yeah, and I was very lucky. Um, a good friend of ours, uh, Keith, his name is, who's a management type guy, and he's in the industry, been in the industry for years. He helped me uh, lobby BC Rich after that happened and was like, hey, this guy's been playing your guitars for his entire career. This is his, what he's known for. Let's hook this guy up. What do you say? And they, they responded and they gave me, I, I got two free, I saw man, two free lovely, BC man. Rich. Uh, nice. They're not the same one that I lost, but they're great instruments and they were able to take me for, you know, to, up to this day. Wow, man. Respect, That's man. cool. That's Respect cool. to them. So you know what? I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. I knew you was coming because I would have prepared more questions, man. Because I know there's a million no things that I would leave this room yeah. thinking, oh shit, I should have asked him that. I should have asked him this. Couple questions. One is, what is your favourite Madball gig? Ever? Um, <sighs> so I would say... We play at random, like one that you wouldn't think of that maybe the other three guys don't agree. We played a show in Paris about five, six years ago. That, was, that was just off the fucking hook. Give us. Um, it was at uh, Nouveau Casino. Did you guys ever play there? It was, a, it was like a, you know, it was like a mid-sized venue, not the no, world's biggest venue, but I think it was called Nouveau Casino, and it was just one of those ones where, you know, you play your shows, even the good shows. Where you look out and the floor is going crazy, and then the people in the back they're watching, but they're drinking their drinks and they're socializing, whatever. There was a floor, there was the back of the floor, there was a balcony, and there wasn't one person that didn't have their hands up, screaming, Amazing. yelling, wow. singing the lyrics back. It was just I had chills. That was that was a great show. Shit, man. So uh, you departed from Mad Bull in two thousand sixteen, seventeen, seventeen, seventeen. Sorry, what's it like adapting back to? For someone that's always out on the road touring, 
the world. Right. Is it hard adapting back to just... Yeah, humanity? I was, was going to ask, actually, because are, are you getting into sort of producing records now? Is that, like, going to be yeah, going I mean, forward? Your the, producing, the next chapter for me. Sure. Yeah. So, so the producing thing is something that... That's the next chapter, you know, if you summed it up. Um, I, I was doing that before when I was still in the band, and I was doing it when I was, you know, much younger. Um, I'm not done playing. I am... I am I'm writing a lot of music right now. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I, I've, I'm considering putting a project together with some people. Um, <clears throat> maybe release something, do a record, who knows. But my options are open. I'm, I, I'm, I'm fully open to seeing what, what, what happens next. In the meantime, it was kind of nice for a little bit. Like, wow, like, I'm, not, you know, I'm home. I can relax and be home. And, <coughs> not that I ever minded touring. I love touring. I love getting out there, seeing people. <clears throat> I love the the social aspect of it. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the one thing that is a downside of it is that, like, you know, how many times a year I see you? Three times a year because yeah, of tour. I, I mean, I see I see people in all these cities, and now it's like, well, I'm not coming through with the band anymore. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. well, and I got to find other ways. And yeah, and, uh, I, you know, I love mm-hmm. to travel, and I the, the 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 thing I cherish the most out of 20 years that I toured. And hopefully we'll still tour. Is the friendships I made and the, and the people yeah, yeah. I met. I've got friends on every corner of the globe, yeah. and that's I'm grateful for that forever. Oh, I always say being in a band is like like a woman. You can't live without them. Sure, you can't live with yeah. them. Sure, <laughs> Sorry, women. And then it, it's but, funny. <laughs> fucking sexist, man. It's so funny <laughs> when you think women about, will say the same about men. It's fine. Like when people back home, they're like, you you "Oh, you, you're such a rock star." I love when people say that. Like, you're such a rock star, and like. You have no idea how much we got to grind out here. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a huge downside to it. Yeah, there is. But the upside is is you see the world and you meet so many amazing people that you wouldn't have met if you you weren't playing music. Everyone but us. Straight from the heart of London. Yeah, so on this podcast, basically, we want to go over some of the highs and lows of 2018. And... One of the first things I want to hit is Lewis, man. You went to America. Yeah, man. How was your trip, man? I had a great time, man. Uh, well, basically, what happened was I wanted to go out in September to Tsunami Fest, but I couldn't make it because obviously it was playing that Foundation Fest up in Leeds. So I just postponed my trip to like two months later and went in November. So, um, yeah, I booked 10 days to go out to America, see some friends, go to maybe a couple of shows. Uh, eat as much food as humanly possible. I did see you post bare pictures on Instagram of like burgers and. Mate, I fucking had so much food, man. It what were you drinking though? What beers were you hitting? Hit that. Um, what's that? It's a company called uh, brewery called Fatheads. I drank a few of that right. shit. But um, yeah, that was like the sort of posh beers I'll say of the fucking IPA while drinking that sort of stuff. But I was just mostly drinking Miller Lite and fucking Yingling. Aww. Yeah, dude, I, 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 I like regular shit. I like regular <laughs> shit, man. I can't say I like it. Just like the, the cheap regular shit. I like that shit. But at least it keeps you going. You can't drink fucking IPAs or not. Well, some people can, but no, I certainly can't. Yeah, I certainly can't drink that shit or not. I'll be fucked. Now, um, our boy Richie, shout, shout out to Richie, Richie. from uh, Wisdom in Chains. He always shits on English food. So I've got Mitts, I've got an American, and I've got an English guy who's just come back from America. Who has the better food, England or America? Discuss. I'm going to say that America has the best food across the board. However, you guys have some stuff here that we can't fuck with. The 
Amo, the Indian food here is head and shoulders above any Indian Definitely. food in the States. But after that, everything else we got is better. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, no, I would say the Chinese food that we got over here is better as well. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'm going to agree as well. I think I our agree. Chinese food over here is much better as well. <laughs> oh, what are you Chinese? I think America is only good for American diner food. Like your no, burgers, you guys your, haven't been your steaks. You guys haven't been out and about. No, America. You haven't been out and about. Yeah, okay. Next time oh. I go. I've done a proper... American had the proper American experience with Thanksgiving because I was over there oh, during that time. Yeah. Oh yeah, you can't oh, fucking your country. Yeah, no, I'll give you that. I'll give I, you I, was that. Asking you, I was asking you about that. Oh man, the fucking Thanksgiving food was... The Wednesday night before Thanksgiving is like known as rookie night. Oh yeah. That, that's the night that all the kids come home from college. Every bar in every town is just packed beyond belief. Wow. And there's you, you're bound to have fights and arrests and you know it's all the kids they're you know that's their first year away from 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 home they're coming home that night the Wednesday before Thanksgiving they're coming home back to their hometown and they're getting in a fight and they're going to jail. We have uh, white people. We have <laughs> we have Black Eye Friday, which is the Friday before Christmas, and that's when everybody finishes work for their Christmas holidays, and people that don't usually drink they go out they drink. And they get a black eye. Rookie night. Yeah. Rookie night. Amateur hour. <laughs> You're listening to the Everyone But Us podcast, straight from the heart of London. So did you see any shows out there? So, yeah. I went to a show in Brooklyn and see uh, my friend's band play Departed. They played, I can't remember the whole lineup. I know there was a band called Threat to Society, Threat to Society from um, New Jersey. They were fucking banging, man. They were really, really fucking good. What style are they like? They're almost like, sort of, I don't want to say they're like youth crew. They're not a youth crew band at all, not in the slightest, but it's just the, the sort of style and their vibe. It's very upbeat, energetic shit, but it's fucking punches, like it's hard. It's New Jersey, you know what I'm saying? So it's just got that hard fucking element to it. But the band of the night, the headliner band was Line of Scrimmage and holy fucking shit, mate. That place fucking went off, mate. This venue oh, shit. was in Brooklyn, like, can't remember exactly, but was it in the center of Brooklyn? It was like in some Chinatown sort of type area where there's just like loads of Chinese restaurants and like warehouses and shit. And I thought the fucking floor was going to collapse, like because like was it up on the first floor? Then yeah, it was on the first floor. So at the bottom there was a bar where you get all your oh, drinks sorry, and shit. Okay. The bar was fucking gully, man. There was like people smoking in the bar, not smoking weed, smoking cigarettes. Mm-hmm. There was all these fucking like Latino and black chicks behind the bar. When I went to go buy a drink, they were like. I went to buy a drink. Oh, can we get a bottle of Heineken? And be like, say that again. <laughs> <laughs> say that again. Say that again. Yeah. I was like, oh god, like yeah. How many times have I heard that in America as well, man? Loads of times. Fuck. But um, yeah, when Line of Scrimmage played, it just fucking it, wow. It just it was like carnage, man. The whole place just fucking went just went wild. People were dancing fucking hard, respectful, but kind of raw at the same time. Like it was. Like, people were doing the crowd-killing shit. I mean, not just hitting anyone. There's mostly people hitting their friends and that. Yeah. But there were some breakdowns where it just descended into fucking chaos. And then the mic cut out halfway through. So I think they played, like, three or four songs. The mic went. And then after that, the band just kept on playing. And it was just... It went even more fucking crazy, man. Like, it went fucking so wild. what happened with the, the owners? When the owners like, okay, you need to calm this down now. The owners were... Because I think... Because everyone was dancing so hard, that's what I'm saying about the fucking floor. Like, 
the floor felt like it was going to cave in and everyone's just going to fall to the bottom where the bar was like. So I think the owners come up and were like, yo, what the fuck's going on? People <laughs> were just dancing hard like. And then, yeah, man. Did they, did, they try, did they try and stop the show? Yeah, they did try to stop the show a couple of times. And it just... They, it just they, kept they just, going, like. It just kept going. And it's funny because I said to one of our boys, um, Sean, who lives out there, big up Sean, he's a fucking good dude, man. He's, and uh, I was like, Sean, Amma wants a fucking line of scrimmage t-shirt. I need to get him one. But I'm going to wait till after the band plays. So I don't want to get in now and be carrying it and shit. Didn't even get to that point because all the merch tables just... Went was smashed. Just all got smashed yeah, up. Lewis, was there anything else that happened on your trip? No, I never got to shoot guns this time, which is sad. Can I tell you a quick story about um, my first... Gary, I saw you shooting guns, man. I've never shot a gun in my life, but I want to quick... No, t- I fucking love it, mate. Then you met, I just want to tell a quick story about that, actually. Um, my first time in America, I went to Miami, and it was... Um, it was actually around, it was when 9-11 happened. I was supposed to come home. I was supposed to come home the day, day before and I got basically stuck out there for another week. I remember the, I remember the first night, um, my boys went into, is it 7-11 or one of them shops? And I was outside waiting for them for ages. And at this time, I never knew nothing about the gun laws in America. People could carry guns. I've never even seen a gun. And I don't know, I had this crazy idea to run into the shop. And I went, and I shouted to the top of my voice, this is a motherfucking sticker. Oh, <laughs> and everyone fucking, hell, fucking turned around, looked at me, and this guy behind the counter, he went underneath the counter. And then there was a point where I started you, laughing. You did this? I did this. I <laughs> went into the shop. Oh, I can't imagine. Shit, I thought you were talking about hypothetical. No, this actually happened. My boys were in the shop. <laughs> and so you I, walked in and yelled at. It's a motherfucking sticker. In Florida. You would have got yeah. fucking. But you gotta remember, I was only about 19. The, and it's amazing you're still sitting here. Yeah, man. I'm gonna For tell real, you a story. Bro. So the, the guy behind the cow ducked down, and then I started laughing with my friends in the shop, and they're like, oh, stop being a dickhead. And the guy behind the cow goes to me, motherfucker, I almost blew your fucking head off. And that fucking sentence to stick with me. And he showed yeah. me the handle of the gun, and I was like, fucking yeah, hell, man. Like... So that's Sweet. it, man. That's it. End of the year, I just want to thank everyone that supports this podcast and listens to this podcast. I want to thank Smits for coming down. Gross, no, no, gross, thank, you, thank you for having me, man. This uh, was it's awesome. It's been a fucking blast, man. And I want to wish everyone an amazing Christmas and a happy new year. You guys got yeah, any fun we'll words? Yeah, we'll see you in 2019. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Kwanzaa. You're listening to the Everyone But Us podcast straight from the heart of London.